I'm Maria Stolger and welcome to episode 130 of Talking with Painters, where Australian painters talk about their lives and art. Back in 2019, I made a trip to Hill End, a little village you may have heard me talk about before on the podcast. It's about four hours from Sydney and was originally a gold mining town. But in about the 1940s, there was something about the light and landscape there that began to capture the imagination of some of the most famous Australian painters of the 20th century, including Russell Drysdale, Margaret Olley and Geoffrey Smart. And ever since then, Artists have kept visiting this little place at the end of a windy road in the bush. And there are a few who fell in love with it so much they own homes and studios there. And one of the most well-known of those artists is previous podcast guest Luke Scaberis. There are currently two excellent survey exhibitions of Luke's work running concurrently at Campbelltown Art Centre and Bathurst Regional Art Gallery. Titled Side of the Sky, the shows look back at 25 years of his work, sourced from public and private collections around the world. And I posted a one-minute video of the Campbelltown exhibition on my Instagram page, and there's a link to that in the show notes. They end on the 7th of August 2022, so it's definitely worth getting to one or both if you can. Although walking into Luke Stone Cottage in Hill End felt like being transported back to the mid-19th century, if you've heard my interview with Luke, you'll know that it's his studio that everybody raves about. The high-ceilinged stone building sits in an open field only a few hundred metres from his cottage's front gate. He was actually urged by Wendy Whiteley to buy it when it came up for sale. And now, instead of pews, it holds easels, books, skulls and bones and other artefacts, a huge long old table, bookcases, a four-poster bed, many tubes of paint, brushes, and when he's preparing for a show, lots and lots of paintings. And it was in this beautiful light-filled space that I filmed Luke talking about his work, particularly how he begins his paintings in the landscape, because a large part of his practice is plein air painting, not only in Hill End, but right across the world, and particularly from the deserts to the coasts of Australia. So this episode is the full unedited audio version of what we recorded when filming on that day and you can find a link to the final four-minute YouTube video version in the show notes. We went on to have an in-depth conversation after filming where we talked about his life and how he became an artist and that conversation is episode 64 and you'll find a link to that in the show notes as well. Luke's had over 40 solo shows. His work is held in the collection of the Art Gallery of New South Wales and many regional galleries, in corporate and major private collections, and he's just had a show in Melbourne with Scott Livesey Galleries. This conversation was recorded in the lead-up to Luke's show with his Sydney gallery, King Street Gallery on William, and it was called Rose Interview. This is a work from the Kimberley Coast, in fact, the entire show is a saturation of Kimberley Coast paintings because um, I've been there twice in the last year and I've just made a huge amount of work from those two trips. Oh, right. Mm. And so where is that? That's north, north of oh, Western The northern coast of Western Australia, between Darwin and Broome. Right. Yeah, and, um, pretty much in between those two. What was it about the landscape there that, that attracted you? 
the Kimberley Coast has a totally unique tone and energy, but it's made up of these amazing dramatic escarpments that rise above the sea. The Timor Sea is there, this incredible sort of series of turquoise and um, emerald green and sapphire blue uh, waters. And then the, the, the geology of the place just seems to kind of loom above all of those glistening colours like the desert. It's like the McDonnell Ranges outside of Alice Springs, but it's right on the ocean, on the sea. So it's just sort of overwhelming. You know, you've got this unbelievable water that is the colour of jewels and then the landscape that looks like the desert. So did you, were you mainly doing plein air paintings? Mm, absolutely. So what my work is always based on, wherever I happen to be, is I immerse myself in the place and I spend a long time travelling and, and walking and you know, just sort of exploring like a child does, you know, kicking around, looking at rocks and trees and animals and and uh, the bird life and everything about each landscape is so unique. So it takes time for me to learn somehow, understand the nuances of each landscape. And for me, that is to sit on the ground and feel the place slowly and make works on paper which I bring back to the studio to work from. I don't paint these oils on board in the landscape because they they take a long time, they're too big, they're sticky, and they take many, many layers and a lot of scraping and thinking and coming back to revisiting them. So to what extent would you refer to your plein air paintings when you get back to the studio? That's a very interesting question. The, um, the works on paper, I stand them up. I've got a little system here where I can go through the works and respond to, to certain ones that just spike my interest or especially uh, trigger my memories because painting to me is largely about memory. There's a, there's a sort of storytelling element to making a painting, if you know what I mean. You have to be able to draw on on the memory of being there and when I'm... In the, immersed in the making of a painting, every colour, tone, shape, texture, application, small, large, dry, wet, scrape, wipe, whatever it happens to be, the, there's a, a series of sometimes quickly made decisions that either take you closer to or further away from the subject in my mind's eye. And the works on paper, which I had have done, you know, on plein air in the landscape are the raw material that I refer to and they're like a, an organic thing that I've brought back from the landscape. They're like a, a fragment of the place itself because they're just my first response. They're the kind of the, the, the raw, very organic sort of material to me that I could never rework or reproduce those because they're, they're really like a found object. And so to, to answer the question, there's a, 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 a moment, I guess, of liftoff in the making of a painting where the process of making a painting and my memory and kind of immersing myself in the memory of the place that I've been at, that what I'm making a, a painting about, takes off and I don't need to look at the work on paper anymore. I don't need to refer to that sort of first response work because I have the composition, the shapes, the colours, the 
the the way that a tree grows and the the sort of inflection and nuance of every part of the landscape i i've got it i understand that now so then it's really about resolving the painting and yeah. and that's a terrific sort of so it's an adventure right. in a way it's, it's absolutely each painting is a total adventure and then there's this it's like a window to me into a place that I've been to. And so the, it becomes about me having been there. It's, a, it's, a my, very, it's my personal response to a place. And it's all about the history of it. I learn through the, the people of the landscape, whatever, wherever that happens to be. It might be the indigenous people. It might be farmers, graziers, you know, fifth generation locals, you know. Whoever it happens to be, um, I mine them for information and generally almost always form some kind of relationship with them and that's my connection to the place. You know, that's my, my kind of welcome to country. In, in any regard, in any place, there has to be, for me, um, a sense of being welcomed and allowed to make a reflection of a place. Can you tell me a bit about that, that contact with the Aboriginal communities? Yeah. So, I mean, it's difficult to sort of talk about the Aboriginal communities because they're, they're each so different and so unique and they, each part of Australia is like a different nation again. But um, to spend time with the, the Indigenous people of wherever it happens to be in Australia... Uh, has been a very steep learning curve for me. And it started about 10 years ago, I guess, or more, in Moree. And I worked with the Aboriginal artists there with a group of non-Indigenous artists. We all went together and it was an arranged kind of group and it was highly kind of orchestrated. But at the same time, there was this amazing exchange of energy and there's a, a wonderful humanity in spending time in the landscape with the people who belong there, wherever it happens to be. So the Kimberley Coast, for example, we were shown uh, the, the rock art there, the cave paintings, and some of the paintings there are just like from another world, they're from another galaxy. The Guion Guion paintings and the carvings and the Wanjanas and the people who showed us those pictures are the custodians of of that land of the of that art and 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 at once there's a, a human touch that you relate to and a sense that you can't almost believe that such amazing figures and spirits were made by hand so there's this this kind of magical element to me of looking at that, say, for example, the rock art of the Kimberley. And what effect, do you think that has an effect on your own work? I don't presume to affect any um, direct reflection of the, of the rock art of the Kimberley, but it affects me or anyone who really looks and really cares in the sense that, you know, you're seeing the, the spirit and the pulse of a landscape through the hand of the people who lived there many thousands of years ago, many, many thousands of years ago. That's a real thing. That's a, and some of those paintings are so old that they're almost tattooed into the stone. The stone is very dense 
beautiful, cold, uh, marble-like, granite-like sort of surface of, the, of these old homes, caves that have an amazing patina. But in the rock itself, you can see that the, the pigment of the, of the ochre has seeped into the rock. And it's like it's part of the place. But to have the access to those places and to be um, enlightened by their knowledge is, is a huge part of my being there. Anyone's sense of um, being in a place um, is always sort of given great heart by that sort of contact. And wherever I go through New South Wales, Western New South Wales, the Central Desert, or even in urban areas, it's... Um, it's very, um, very enlightening to have that kind of access. Like, you know, I mean, I know that you can always open a gate and drive into a place, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you should. And uh, that makes a big difference. In many instances, I, I shift the perspective of the view of the place. So I might kind of pull myself up or pull down the magnification so that I can get more of an essence of the place and tell more about the lie of the land by stretching it out in, oh, a, in a way. Okay. You so know, you, play a, you can play around with perspective after Well, you can do anything you like. That's what I think Margaret Ollie said. She said, you know, the best thing, you know, the best thing about being a painter is you can do whatever you like. Yeah. So playing around with perspective, uh, can you tell me a bit more about how, you know, that plays a role in your work? Well, perspective is a key element in the sort of construction of any picture. I mean, the main shapes that make a painting up are what really kind of either arrest you or invite you into and then out of, again, a painting. So the way the eye travels through a picture sort of either sweeps or uh, falls in and falls out or jars and then knocks the eye out of a painting which I find really intriguing but also when you really elasticize your idea and your use of perspective you get a terrific um, bird's eye view really or, or a, a sort of fisheye lens view whatever it happens to be and being a painter you can do anything you want you can put the horizon up there or way down there or tilt it sideways and yeah. you know you can bend it you can bend the horizon like John Olson takes the horizon and just ties it in a knot down the bottom of the painting or whatever he wants to do yeah. Elizabeth Cummings for example would pull the landscape inside out literally and then put it all back together in a sometimes you know in a basically sort of grid form you know there's so many ways that you can make a painting about a place and is that something that you, you would consciously decide at the beginning of the painting? I don't see, without sounding like a dum-dum, I don't make really conscious decisions. They're not, I guess, cognitive decisions about how I'm going to compose a painting. I'm thinking this as I say it because I don't know. I, I, think, I feel as very much as though I do it by feel and with my body. So the painting is a, a physical activity and so I'm... You feel the sweep of a landscape with the, the reach of a painting. And so I just kind of immerse myself in the, in the composing of a picture with the 
immersing of my mind into the memory of the place. And somehow it comes, you know, I mean, they're quite absurd sometimes, the, the perspectives that I've used. But it doesn't matter because, you know, you might, I might as well have sent a drone up and taken a picture, <laughs> you know, or something. But I don't. But, you know, you can look at a beach and you get a bit of yellow like that. Or you can rise above and then you get over above and beyond the thing. And then you're actually challenging yourself. And so then there's a fantastic free-falling dialogue and struggle with how to compose a painting that might look as though it's going to slide off onto the floor because it's all sort of tilted up and coming at you, um, which I quite like. I mean, I always do really like a tabletop, you know, push up the landscape. Yeah. Well, and that's tied up, that, that's sort of tied up with, with sort of searching for a feeling of a place rather than, you know, what it looks like, really. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm not really interested in making paintings of places. That, that's a, a banal pursuit, but... Primarily, I think of making paintings about paintings, but I'm using my adventures in the landscape as the material, the raw material, to hang my, my painterly obsession on. You know, I don't really think um, that's what painting is about, to make, to make pictures of places, because there's no, such, there's no reason that you would make, try to put a landscape into a, a square or a rectangle on a flat surface because it's only ever paint. So why not be honest about it and make a painting about painting because that's what it's all about. As far as the palette goes, are you going to be drawing much from your initial drawings when it comes to using a palette, what palette you choose in the studio? Uh, the, the drawings are... They are quite sort of keenly observed, but at the same time, there's a fantastic element of chance when I'm making a picture, when I'm really resolving a painting in the studio that isn't just observed. Um, there might be the use of a dreamy kind of lilac or a pink or a glaze of burnt sienna or something that might just take me more into the atmosphere of a landscape or into the tone of a place. There are so many opportunities to um, immerse yourself in the palette. Now, if you've got it all, you know, you need to have all of the, the, the wherewithal and the, the mediums that are thicker and thinner and stuff you can put into the paint to make it kind of more meaty or um, the paint itself is, um, you know, it comes in huge, wonderful arrays of colour, like ingredients in a kitchen. There's so much you can kind of think of to do mm. to enrich a painting or calm it down or, you know, whatever. Do you, um, do you mix your colours on the palette? Invariably, um, I mix my, my colours, yes. I almost never use paint straight out of the tube because it just needs a, a knock this way or that way. You know, there's a sort of element of touch that... I, I think I enjoy with my work because of the fact that the, the mixing of paint is in itself a gamble. And, and if you have a lick of paint on one side of the brush and then a, a tiny kind of knock, knock of, of colour on the other side of the same brush and then you push and pull and 
scrub and scrape and then scour or impasto the paint on, which whatever you happen to do, gives you the most organic and I find natural inflection in a mark that can't be concocted or contrived. There's a, always an element of an organic, um, uh, like almost like something that's grown out of the end of the brush. Mm. When, when colors blend together um, and, they, and they smear into each other and then kind of fall off the brush in a way that you actually can't control. I mean, some people would like to try, but why, why bother? Yeah. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Luke Scaberis. As I mentioned in the intro, you can see the shorter video version of this on the Talking With Painters YouTube channel and our full podcast conversation in episode 64. If you'd like to hear more from artists who live in this area, have a listen to my conversations with artist Susan Baird, who also owns an amazing cottage nearby. And there's also a YouTube video with Susan on her property on the YouTube channel. So just check out episodes 77 and 104 of the podcast. Thanks to everyone who has rated and reviewed on Apple Podcasts. It really helps getting the word out about the show. And don't forget, you can follow the show on your podcast app and on the YouTube channel. Both are absolutely free with no ads. And the show, as well as being on Instagram, is also on Facebook, Twitter and TikTok. Thanks for listening and I hope you can join me for the next episode of Talking with Painters.